Thank you. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Romans, uh, chapter 5. And as you're doing that, there's just one more song we need to sing. I have asked all kinds of women, young girls, to help me be spontaneous. I didn't know we had so many chickens in this church who just said, I am not getting up in front of people and singing. So let's all stand up and, and trust. You're gonna, I'm asking forgiveness in advance. This song literally sets up the entire sermon. Can we stand? Uh, it's taken from The Little Mermaid. Okay? And let me explain now. Uh, we're just going to sing this part. It's on a commercial nowadays, so you're singing it all the time. Up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun, wandering free, wish I could be part of that world. Man, that was awesome. Thank you. That's it. That's it. You're good. The album comes out next week. And you go, okay, how does that have to do with this sermon? Because in that, the little mermaid, Ariel, the, 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 the little mermaid, is kind of bummed she's born with a tail and doesn't have two legs and two feet. And, and she's thinking, man, I want to be up there. I, I want to I know how they live and, and what they do. And so she's fascinated with human life. And if you're familiar with the movie, she goes into all these sunken ships and gets the, the buried treasure. And she wants to know, what in the world is this thing? And so she goes to the see the seagull in this, uh, <laughs> the scuttle is his name, lame brain seagull. And, and she goes, what is this? And so in the picture there, she brings him a fork. And of course, he is a self-proclaimed expert on human beings. He actually has no clue what he's talking about. But he has to have an answer. So what, what, what is this? What do you call this? He goes, oh, that's a dinglehopper. And he goes on to explain they, they straighten their hair with that. They use it like a comb. So then she gives this, uh, this kind of a pipe that looks like the Sherlock Holmes pipe. And she goes, well, what is this? What is it used for? What do they do up there? And he goes, that is a banded bulbous snarflat. Careful how you say that. And he says, they, this is used to make beautiful music. And I'm thinking, that's kind of a bigger, like a saxophone. <laughs> this is a pipe. So she's going to the wrong place to get counsel. She wants to know what's going on up there. She wants to know how they live. How can I fit in? But she's just going to the wrong people. Now let's say we're like that and up there is on top of the circumstances. I read a book once where the, the guy goes, uh, he went up to a friend one day, he goes, hey, how are you doing? And the friend goes, fine, under the circumstances. And the guy goes, what are you doing down there? Get up there. And then some of you are going, what is it like up there? What is it like to, to have that kind of freedom and, and joy? I went to the bank teller the other day and she goes, how are you doing? I said, in the victory. She goes, what's that mean? I'm not living in defeat. She goes, I like that. So what is it like? And so here's the big question. Well, how do they live? What do they do? And here's the deal. Why does a God of love allow suffering? And those old questions like, how, how, how come bad things happen to good people? And then you're going to ask all these people, why is it? And then might get bad counsel like, there is no God. Or he's, he's fed up. 
he handed the world over to its own, you know, end result, or, or he is punishing you. He's mad at you. And I'm sorry, it's like believers are going to the seagulls for their answer rather than going to the Bible and saying, on Christ my solid rock I stand. A review last week. Well, here I raised my Ebenezer. Man, did I get scolded last week? I said we'd never sung this song before. Uh, we have. But we skipped verse 2. I asked Tyler, why don't we sing? He goes, I didn't know what an Ebenezer was, so I went to verse 3. But, you know, it was the idea of claiming God's promise, the idea of saying, enough. No more being pushed around. I am experiencing fear. I am sweating. I am determined to make this. So here I raised my Ebenezer, and it was all about claiming God's promises. So this morning, we go from that to how to have hope in trials. How to have a hope that doesn't disappoint. You see, as a believer, I should be the most hopeful person in Haliva. Amen? People should look at us and go, what is it? What do you have? So let's read Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. And he says, therefore. Now we ended on being justified. Just as if I'd never sinned, plus having the righteousness of God in Christ. So he ends it on that. Now that we're claiming God's promises. Therefore, having been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. That's going to be a key word. Grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, it's classic. It's like, There's more. You know when you're about to order something online, they go, wait, if you order now, we'll double it. And he goes, and not only that. We also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces something. It produces perseverance. Perseverance produces something, character, even proven character. And that produces something, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us, meaning as a believer, we have resources the world does not know about. We have the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power, the Spirit, and His love has already been poured out in our heart. We just need to tap into it. For when we're still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 7, for scarcely for a, a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God, verse 8, demonstrates His own love toward us. In that while we're yet still sinners... Christ died for us. There's the gospel. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Well, that's not a very popular subject these days. But I will never face the wrath of God because Jesus Christ faced it for me. So in verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more... You can read super duper duper. Uh, uh, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now, 
A lot there. Let's break it down. Here's the broad strokes. He's saying, having been justified, remember, just as if I'd never sinned, plus the righteousness of God, but I'm justified by faith, not by going door to door witnessing to people. Maybe you're familiar with Jehovah's Witnesses who are knocking on the door, trying to work their way into this paradise. No, I do it by faith. I don't do it by sacrificing time. It's not because I give money. It's by faith in what Jesus Christ has done for me. Look at this in verse 8. He died for me. Okay, we'll get more on that in a second. But here's, the, the, again, the big broad strokes. Because I've accepted this relationship, I have now reconciliation with God, meaning we've made peace. So now, because of this relationship I have with him, it comes with benefits. Maybe you read about the engineer. This is crazy. Engineer just graduated grad school, and he goes into his, his first job interview. So the human resources gal was there, and she goes, okay, listen, just to get things started, what, what, kind of, what kind of salary are you looking at getting? Should we hire you? He goes, oh, that's easy. I, I want $350,000 a year, plus full medical, retirement, vacation, you know, the, the usual deal. She goes, well, how does this sound for benefits? We'll give you $350,000 a year, plus full medical, retirement, six weeks paid vacation, and every two years, we'll give you a Jaguar convertible. He goes, are you serious? She goes, no, but you started it. <laughs> we have benefits that last for all of eternity. We didn't even ask for them. God says, this is what I'm giving to you now that you have received my son, now that we have reconciled. So there's four benefits listed here. Number one, peace with God. Verse 4, that means there's no more war. I'm not running from him anymore. I have surrendered, which is a great term for seeing if someone has become a Christian. Have you ever talked to someone? Of course I'm a Christian. I was born in America. It doesn't work that way. You know, so I like a surrender to Jesus Christ. Or I've been converted. I've been born again. I've been saved. I was drowning in sin. Or I've been justified. Now, it's, I, there's no more war with God. I, I have peace with him as a result. Now that I have peace with God, I can have the peace of God. And it only works in that way. If I claim I have the peace of God, but I'm living in outright rebellion, that's a phony peace. Let me illustrate. I had a friend years ago who was swindled out of $500,000. And he's telling me this story. And he wasn't alone. I don't have a lot of these friends, just so you know. He was a rare one. But this is like 40 years ago. And he said, yeah, this guy swindled me out of half a mil. He swindled a bunch of people out of millions of dollars, fled the nation, and is now living on an island in, I think it was the Caribbean. He's living in peace with this guy's money. He's living in peace, but he's not at peace with America because if he returns, he will immediately be uh, arrested and thrown into jail. But he's experiencing a peace, but it's not the peace of America. See, people think, well, I'm in sin, but I have peace about it. But you don't have peace with God, so your peace is not the peace of God. So if I were justified by good works, meaning if I justified by giving money or sacrificing or, you know, witnessing a lot, then 
I'd have peace as long as I was perfect. But if I'm less than perfect like all of us, my peace would come and go. I have peace with God because of faith of what Jesus Christ did for me on that cross. Second benefit, having access to God and to his grace. Now, this works, how this works. 2,000 years ago, when this was written, they're going, access in their mind to the Holy of Holies? No, thank you. People died in that place. You, you see, if you're familiar, have you ever been up to the, the Heiau of Pupakea? Because the temple was very similar in that it had different courts. There's a big court, the outer court. There's, so in the temple, there was the outer court was for Gentiles, for non-Jews. To go further than that, there was, it was written on the wall, you're Gentile, don't go further. You're Make, you will die. And then it was, you go in and there's a women's court, and then the men's court, and then the priest's court. Eventually there was the holy place, but the ultimate was the holy of holy, where only the high priest would go and only once a year. Now tradition has it that the priest would wear a rope, tie a rope around his leg, and he had bells around the hem of his garment. The rope, if he went into the holy of holies, as long as they heard the bells jingling, they go, okay, we're good. If the bell stopped jingling and tug on the rope, they would pull him out. This is tradition says this because nobody was going to go in there and retrieve that body. Because, no, thank you. I don't want to go into the Holy of Holies. I will die. When Christ died on the cross, the veil was ripped from top to bottom. The veil was as, as, long, as broad as my hand, so maybe six inches thick heavy, thick material. God just said, enough of this. I want you in my presence. I don't want to scare you away from my presence. So 200, 2,000 years ago, I'm not interested in going to God's presence. One of the benefits is you get entrance in, into God's presence. Now, what we need to understand is there's a difference between saving grace and sustaining grace. So let's take them one at a time. Saving grace, I've seen a lot of people struggle with this. They're not sure if they're forgiven of their sins. That's saving grace. And as 1 John chapter 2 points out, that's the kindergarten of Christianity. You've got to understand, little children, that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So many people struggle with that kind of grace. But it's good. It's free. It's completely cleansing. But then... Now that I'm saved, there comes sustaining grace. As many as struggle with saving grace, I've seen more Christians struggle with sustaining grace. Sustaining grace is this is where I stand before God. Irregardless of my, of my deeds or my lack of good deeds, it doesn't matter. I have sustaining grace because that's a benefit of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for me. What that means, standing in grace means I, have, I don't have to prove I'm worthy of God's love. That is so freeing. You know, so many Christians, they're still trying to make, be acceptable to God. That's already a done deal. I mean, he says, look, if his son died for you while you're his enemies, how much more? Super duper. He's made a commitment. And so I, I don't have to prove I'm worthy. That's standing in grace. How about this one? God's my friend. He's not against me. He's for me. Karen and I went, uh, Karen's my wife. She, we went to the Brooklyn Tabernacle, not to be confused with the Mormon Tabernacle, 
the Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, with uh, their pastor, just, just Jim Cimbala, just a phenomenal place. They, uh, their prayer that we're trying to do a once a month prayer like they do every week, that's what started that movement. But they, uh, we went in and they were already singing. Now their choir is bigger than this church. And they only know volume 10. It's, and then there's thousands of people singing with the choir. So we go in and they're singing, I got a friend of God, I am a friend of God. And I mean, whoa, it's just like powerful, radical. I'm standing there, they're singing like they believe it. I'm standing in grace, I have a friend in God, I'm a friend of God. And it's, I loved how we sang this morning. I was because no one at this point is in the sermon. I'm thinking, we're singing like we believe this stuff. I like it. I'm a friend of God. I'm standing in grace. Another one is the door of access, of access is permanently open. He's not saying, Mike, you know what? I've had enough. Just go. Just go. No, it's always open. Like a dad's door who's always open to the kids. You can interrupt me. It's okay. Your top's in my, in my book. How about this? I'm Ohana. I cannot over mess up. I'm standing in grace. There's such a thing as abusing grace. We're talking about amazing grace. And because this is how I'm standing in God's grace. Now, Hebrews chapter 4, it's a great verse. Let's come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So the Bible is encouraging us. Listen, believer, that door is open permanently. Another benefit of being justified, I rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You might go, what is, what is that? Well, I, I go to Moses. Moses in, in Exodus 33 he goes, Lord, let me see your glory. I'm going to be so cool. And, and you're thinking, Moses, you want more? I mean, seriously? You were at the burning bush. That would be enough for me for all, man, that would be so, I'd make a t-shirt. Me and God at the burning bush. But it didn't stop there. You went one-on-one -on -one against Pharaoh. Are you serious? And the biggest army, the biggest, you know, world power at that time. There were ten plagues because of you. God worked through. That would be enough for me. But no, you had to cross the Red Sea. Another miracle. You had to have the manna and the water from the rock. You had the Ten Commandments. Do you know what those things would be worth on the eBay? But you, it wasn't enough. That'd be enough for me. If I had the burning bush on the front, I'd have the Ten Commandments on the back, the two tablets. What is it? He goes, I'm not in it for those things. I want relationship. Lord, what's your glory like? So the next chapter, Exodus 34, God appears. And I want you to see what God emphasized about his character. He said, well, the Lord, Lord God, merciful. I mean, I would start, maybe I'm ticked off. Wrathful. God says, you know what I want you to know this morning? He's full of mercy. Gracious. He's long-suffering. Guys, I don't like to be short-suffering. I don't like suffering at all. 
God says, you know, I am long-suffering. Why? Because he deals with kids like us. I'm long-suffering. Abounding in goodness and truth. This is amazing. He says, yeah, I'm keeping mercy for thousands and, and forgiving people, but by no means, by no means clearing the guilty. So he's saying, just because I'm all this, don't think I wink at sin. Oh, that's okay. No big deal. God, show me your glory. Wouldn't that be a cool prayer to have answered this week? If God shows you, I want you to know about my mercy, my grace, my forgiveness, but I don't wink at sin either. Some have a dead hope. You know, remember the road to Emmaus, the two on the road, and Jesus shows up. They don't know it's Jesus, and they said, we were hoping that Jesus was his, but then he had to go and die. Yeah, but he came back to life. Some have a, a, a dead hope. Peter, in his uh, epistle, says, we have a living hope because of Christ. Now, the fourth thing, we glory in tribulation. Um, don't you want to say not? <laughs> glory in tribulation. You see, tribulation has a root word that talks about like a big log with nails coming out of it. And they would take animals, use animals to bring these, these logs with the nails to crush seeds so that the, the pod would open up. And tribulation comes from that idea He's saying, yeah, a trial is like that thing going over me. No, I don't glory in that. I don't get off on that. See, I would glory in winning the gold medal at the Olympics. I have a friend who's going to be in the Olympics. And uh, I see her tra training, and she's a four-time world champion surfer. She's currently in first place. She's going to the Olympics. And I thought, what if Carissa wins gold? I mean, she could. Somebody's got to win it. Then I thought, what if I win gold? If I won a gold medal, I pity you. Because I would never take it off. I would sleep with it. I would bathe with it. I'd go to 7-Eleven with it, and I guarantee you would come to church with it. And you'd go, what's with the gold medal? I'm glorying in it. I'm not ashamed of this. This is with me for the rest of my life. Is that what you do with trials? That's what he says. Only when we have a hope that does not disappoint will we glory like that. It's like going to the dentist for a root canal. You know it's going to hurt. But it's killing you. You know, it's ruining your life. You're miserable with your, your spouse and your kids are going, Dad, get that thing taken care of. And you go, man, they're going to shoot me up with it. It's not going to be enough. They're going to take out those pliers. Are you really going to do <sighs> And you go, oh, okay. I, whatever they do for a root canal, I don't know. But it's painful. And you're going, but I, I, I have hope that when that thing is done, I'm going to be relieved. It's going to be awesome. And so what we say to the trial is, thank you, trial. You're exactly what I needed. And that's how we glory. That's how we, you know, um, glory in the tribulation. Realizing, I know I need this. And I'm looking to the end result. The end result. So Paul is not trying to explain why God allows suffering. He's explaining that, that God uses suffering to grow us. 
uses it in the believer's life. How? For, remember this? Knowing tribulation is going to produce perseverance. Perseverance, proven character. That's going to bring hope that doesn't disappoint. A lot of people have hope that disappoints. How many have hoped that they're going to win? What is that? Uh, Mega the are you confessing? <laughs> the Mega Million! No, I was thinking of that, not the Reader's Digest thing, but the annoying thing. Publish. Boy, you know them all. Do you know your Bible? <laughs> he teaches one of our Ohana groups. He's mine. But, you know, so, so many are hoping, they're banking on that. When it doesn't happen, their hope dies. We have a hope that lives. All right? And this is why. The Holy Spirit has been poured out within our hearts. We have resources the world does not know about. I remember years ago, my son was little, and he goes, Dad, what do you do for fun? I go to Bible studies. What? <laughs> what do you do for no real fun? I, I sing to the Lord. What? See, people who don't have, he has the Holy Spirit now, but people who don't know, they don't get it. That the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and all these things. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Now, he goes on to talk about a demonstration of God's love for you. All right? He says, uh, or he basically asks this question, when did God's love for you begin? And some like, well, when I got right with Jesus Christ. When I surrendered my life. When I became converted. No. It says here, verse 8, when you were his enemy... It's not like you're kind of in a quarrel. You're at total odds. A sinner versus a holy, holy, holy God. But God still loved you enough to send his only son. So that's when he died for us, and it's called a substitutionary death. Now, to break that down, you think of schools today who have a substitute teacher. The regular teacher's not here. She's sick, she's vacation, whatever. So they have a substitute show up in her place. I was destined for hell. I was destined to pay for my own sin. Christ offers a substitute death so that I don't have to face God's wrath. He faced it to the point he goes, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, why did you forsake me? I'm your son. I don't understand how that happens. I'm just thankful. So. He, his love for me began when I was his enemy. Then, will God's love ever stop? See, he goes on in Romans up to chapter 8. Remember, right now we started with justified. In chapter 8, he says, those whom he justified, he glorified. And then he goes on, chapter 8, who or what can separate us from the love of God? And he lists all these things. Can demons, you know, hardships, circumstances, can we? The only answer is nothing. Absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now, remember Ariel, Little Mermaid, asking, what is it like up there? And we're applying it like, what's it like? We're living under the circumstance. What is it like up there? What, what's it like? To, to have that freedom, have that victory, have that joy, 
have that, the glory and trial. What is it like? How do I get there? Well, let me read to you a letter that was given to me years ago. Uh, this is, uh, okay, I'm getting my head on myself. A letter from a guy named Billy Baca. This is from 1987. I just found it some randomly. Billy was married to Tina. Karen and I bought our house from Tina's parents. So we're connected. Billy used to have the pulpit ministry. That meant we had a pulpit. He would bring it to church every Sunday. Make sure he'd be there every Sunday. He was in a car accident along with his wife, Tina, April 8th, 1987. He was in a coma for 10 days. When he woke up, he heard his wife had died in the car accident. He didn't want to eat for three months, lost 80 pounds. He was in a trauma center for 25 days with severe head injuries. Then a hospital therapy for five months. So he wrote this psalm of thanks. Now, some of it sounds quoted from the Psalms. Some of it's from his heart. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came upon me. I was overcome by trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Oh, Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the simple-hearted. When I was in great need, he saved me. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, wonderful counselor, Lord of life, Lord of all. He's the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, Holy One, Emmanuel, Emmanuel. That's what it's like to live up there. I believe he passed away several years ago, but that's what it's like to live up there. And we have this uh, a reminder of what it's like to keep going when you're facing trials. Um, you know, when I was on Facebook, a year ago, I think, you know, I, I got off of Facebook and Instagram because I had triple X stuff being sent to me and I thought, I really don't need this. And so I had been off for a year, but I used to write devotions and send it out and so I missed that. But I still write devotions. So I wrote one for my daughter. It's a few weeks ago. And as the text is on encouragement, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. That's from Galatians. Today there's a battle going on, a tug of war, vying for your heart. One side wants you to have a healthy, loving, trusting heart. The other side wants you to lose hope and give up. I recently read, quote, failure is never final. You're never a failure until you quit, and it's always too soon to quit. You can't determine the greatness of someone by looking at their talent, wealth, or education. You determine their greatness by what it takes to discourage them. Remember, the Bible still says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The battle you're facing today requires faith in the King of Kings and lover of your soul in order to get you through this in a way that both pleases God and causes growth in your life. In the end, 
I know that's what's going to happen. Have a blessed day. So I sent it to Vanessa, and then I thought, I should send that to some missionaries. I'll send it to some friends in India and Japan and Mexico and all over. Africa. And, you know, just not thinking anything, that, uh, but I did get some responses. So I want to share some responses with you. One is from our missionary in Malawi. Uh, one of our biggest support checks goes to him every, every month. He's a native of Malawi, so his name is Yohani. Thank you for your timely, encouraging words. Today we, we received sad news of the death of my wife's grandfather. We're leaving tomorrow morning to attend the funeral. Three weeks ago, my wife's uncle also passed on. On the other hand, the Muslim sheikhs, so he's constantly doing battle with the Muslims. He's reaching out to them. He's seeing people get saved. He's discipling them up. He's on the front lines. He has radical warfare. So on the other hand, the Muslim sheikhs and relatives of the new believers we disciple cause a lot of havoc to our missions. My children and disciples become sick now and again from diseases ranging from malaria to a bad cough. Many times I feel drained, but I thank God for your encouragement and support that helped me to press on. God bless you, Yohani, your local missionary in Malawi. Another one is from my old roommate, Pete. He, uh, he's had two toes removed and uh, was recently told his heart is only operating at 20%. You know, the truth is, you just have no idea what people are going through. I love that little saying that, smile, you have no idea what people are going through. So Pete writes back, I'm having a hard day. Thank you for those words of wisdom, Mike. I decided to forward your encouraging words to my whole family. Guys, wouldn't it be neat if on social media, instead of bashing and shaming each other. We just were encouraging, pointing to God's word. There's another one. I want to close with this story. This is from Pastor Skip Heitzig. He went to the Middle East to confirm this, and he said it's true. And in my own words, he said uh, it was at a Bedouin community. Bedouins are like, they just travel around. They're, they're in their tents. They go from village to village and uh, this is live on their own. They're kind of living like 2,000 years ago. So two Bedouin men, young men, were, got into a fight and it got violent. And one man killed the other man. So knowing they live in an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth community, the killer ran for his life across the desert. He ran up to a sheik's tent so he's the, he's the man, and he pleads, look, I, I've, uh, I've crossed the line. They're coming for me. I need help. Would you provide sanctuary? Would you cover me? Would you protect me? And the sheik said, yes, come into my house or my tent. The next day, the guys, the other Bedouins catch up with us. And go up to the sheik and say, listen, we want that guy. He's a murderer. He killed one of our friends. And the sheik goes, sorry, 
I have sworn to protect him from everything. And the Bedouin said, you do not understand. You don't know who he killed. And he goes, I don't need to know. I've already protected my, I've given him my word. And the Bedouin said, he killed your son. The sheik fell to the ground, just broken. Eventually gathered himself, got back up, and said, since he killed my son, he will now become my son. He will inherit everything I have. You, you see the gospel there? We, by our sins, nailed God's son to the cross. And God said, that's what it took to bring you into my family. And I have sworn my protection, my provisions, my guidance forever. I will welcome you into heaven someday. When I do a funeral, there's times I, I want to go, hey, so uh, how many here are preparing to die? How many here are ready to die? How many here are going to die? Uh, no, okay, thank you. I didn't. <laughs> it was one of those questions you didn't have to ask. But, but I, I, I just feel like, I'm like, can we get reality in here? You know, so many times they're just, oh, he's this and that, and looking down on us. He's not looking down on us. That's way too boring. He's beholding God. But I, I just think, how many here are, are, are planning to die? Everyone. How many here are ready to die? Only those who have made their peace with God by accepting the sacrifice that Jesus Christ did for you. When you do that, it comes with benefits. You didn't ask for them. God gives them to you to the point that you can glory in tribulations. You can have God's Holy Spirit poured out in your heart. You can have resources that this world does not know anything about. It's a package deal. Let's pray.